Um, Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, and if you want to hold your finger there, also turn over to John chapter 1, Matthew 1 and John 1, and um, at the beginning of the service, if you were in here, you saw a countdown video by David Crowder um, called Go Tell It on the Mountain. It's an old Christmas hymn that we used to hear a lot. We don't sing it a whole lot anymore, but um, that song has been on my heart and mind for the past couple of weeks as we've been getting geared up and ready for the Christmas season. And it simply says, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Many people don't know what the origin of that song is, where it comes from. It comes from Isaiah 52, verse 7. It says, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. What is the good news? The good news about Jesus, that Jesus is born. How the beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messengers that bring good news. So as we get ready for the Christmas season, we're in it. You're, you're driving downtown, you see the lights are up, you see the decorations on the storefront, you see all the sales that are going on, and maybe you already have your tree up, and maybe you've already got all your shopping done, good for you, pat yourself on the back, I'll wait till the last minute, um, but it's, it is the season, amen? And Christmas season is a special time of the year, and, and it's important for us to tell the story, to know the story of Jesus, but it's not the complete story. Because like in a movie, you know, every great movie has different scenes in the movie. The the Christmas scene is just a part of a greater story. I would call it the greatest story on earth. The greatest story ever told. And so during the Christmas season, we get to focus on one little scene, one part, a Christmas story. And so what I wanted to do, um, as I was thinking about this Christmas season and this story, I want to take today and the next two weeks to just perspectively look at it and say, okay, let's talk about the who of Christmas and then the why of Christmas and then the what of Christmas, the so what, what does it mean for you and for me? And I thought it would be good for us um, to do that, just to slow down and focus a little bit on the Christmas season. Is that okay? All right, good. For the rest of you, just suck it up. We'll be done in about three weeks. So uh, tis the season. So today I want to talk about the who of Jesus. And the reason is because have you ever been misrepresented Has someone ever maybe told you about someone, and you took what they said, and you believed it, and then you met that someone and found out they were nothing like what was told to you about them? That's called misrepresenting someone or mischaracterizing someone, and I don't want to be guilty of that as a preacher of misrepresenting Jesus, amen? And as a people, we don't want to misunderstand who he is, and the reason it's important for those of you that have been in church your whole life, maybe you were in church when Moses was preaching, I don't know. But you were here for a long time, and you may know this stuff very well. And it may seem elementary or trivial to you, but I want you to look to your left and your right, and you'll see generations. You'll see people that are younger, speaking of age, you'll see younger kids, you'll see youth, you'll see college, and there's generations of people who need to know the who of Christmas. I'm talking so much more than just the baby in the manger, amen? And for us to be reminded of the awe and the wonder of, of Christmas as well. So we'll focus on the who, so we don't want to misrepresent who Jesus is. This baby uh, that was born in a manger 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem um, was no ordinary child. He was no ordinary baby. He was unique. Uh, the word unique just simply means not typical. Say not typical. So Jesus, the, the one in the manger, was not typical. He, was, he has no equal And he's incomparable. For those of you that pronounce that wrong, incomparable, right? It's incomparable. He has no comparison. There's no equal. He is not 
typical. And so I want to look at that story, read it, and then I want to give you three specific things. You, you could pull a lot more out of that, but three that I want to hone in on today about his, um, this uniqueness of, of Jesus, this baby in a manger. So Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 18. Let's read the Christmas story. Verse 18 says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24 says, When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Can we, can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story, the, the, the greatest story ever told, Lord, just to, to get to hone in on this one scene of your story, the Christmas scene. Lord, as we look at your greatest gift given to us, Jesus, this baby in a manger, Lord, my heart is that you would open our eyes and our heart to truly take in just who Jesus was and who he is, and Father, that it would just give us a solid foundation because we're living in a culture today that is sharing a lot of things about Jesus, and many of them are wrong. And so we don't want to misrepresent you. We don't want to misunderstand you. We want our kids and our kids' kids to know the one true saving Messiah, Jesus. And so I ask that you would help us today to see that and to, to understand that, Lord, and, and to just worship as a response of that um, in our own hearts. And I ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Christmas story, um, we'll read this story a couple of times in the next few weeks. Luke also records a significant, about, a significant amount about the Christmas story, <clears throat> but we look at Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, and um, as I said, we don't want to misrepresent, we want to know who we're talking about, more than just a baby in a manger. So the, there's three things that I want to focus on this morning. The origin, say origin. Uh, the origin, the conception, and thirdly, his nature. So the origin of Jesus, the conception of Jesus, and his nature, the nature of Jesus. So the first one is his origin. Um, we have this theological term that we call preexistence, preexisting Jesus. Um, and, and so it says in the first verse that we read in verse 18, it says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. When we hear the word born, we think beginning. When my grandson was born, I didn't know him before he came, but when he was born, I was like, there's my grandson, I'm getting to officially meet him. See, a typical birth would be when they're born, that's at the, at the moment we would see as the origin, but really, as Christians, we know that, that life begins at conception, and so um, nine months prior to December the 21st, 1970, is where my origins begin. 
And then my family got to meet me officially, and I came into this world kicking and screaming or whatever it was that I did, December 21st, and uh, hey, the rest is history. That's a typical origin of a human being. Jesus was non-typical. His origin didn't begin in that manger. If you ask some young people, when did Jesus' life begin? And they would say, well, it began in the manger. And I would say, um, that's just when he became flesh. That's when they get to see and touch and and speak to and listen to the Jesus uh, that we, we know of. But his life goes far, far beyond and before the manger. Amen? He's pre-existing. Uh, so John chapter 1, I had you turn there as well. Um, if you'll look at a very familiar passage that we all know. Actually, before you do that, I want to read John chapter 3, two verses there, and I'll come back and join you in John 1. John chapter 3, Jesus said, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man, this was a title that Jesus gave to himself, the Son of Man has come down from heaven. So he says, no one's gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. So you see in that a pre-existing Jesus. John the Baptist, as he... As he's baptizing disciples, some of them come to him and said, hey, this, this one that you were talking about, Jesus, he's on the other side of the river and he's baptizing more people than you are. And that's that famous passage where John says, he must become greater and I must become less. And he recognized who Jesus was. And this is what John the Baptist said about Jesus. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are on the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. And so Jesus himself speaks of his preexistence. John recognizes that he was preexisting, that he existed before anyone else. In John chapter 1, my favorite passage, in the beginning, say beginning. So beginning of what? Well, we usually think in the beginning, we think when God created the heavens and the earth, and we can start there in the beginning, it says... The Word already existed. Now, we already know the Word is referencing Jesus. So he's saying even at the beginning, when God said, let there be light, he created all things, he said the Word already existed. This is the preexistent Jesus. Jesus has no beginning. He didn't begin in the manger. He is preexisting. It says in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So you see in John, and you see in those two passages in John chapter 3, that Jesus' origin um, goes beyond the manger, and it predates that Jesus is preexistent. He is also eternal from age to age. Amen? This is cool to me. We see the incarnation of Christ, the birth of Jesus in a manger. It's just the scene in the movie where God himself steps out of heaven and steps into earth and, and becomes like one of us. And I just love that because if you look at all the other religions, uh, they're talking about this God that is unreachable, un, unpleasable. And there's all these things you got to do. Whole, whole hoops you got to jump through, hurdles you got to hurdle to please and appease these gods. And it's all about us trying to somehow find our way into his favor. The good news of Christmas, the good news of the greatest story ever told, is God came down where we're at. God came to us. Isn't that beautiful? So his origin, he is pre-existing, pre-existing, and he is eternal. Another thing about this Jesus, the who of this Jesus, his, um, his uniqueness is his conception. Verse 18, back in Matthew. I'm going to be going back and forth, so bear with me. 
the story of Jesus. It says, Before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Later, when Joseph um, was considering put her, putting her away quietly, um, the angel showed up and told him, Hey, for the child that's within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, since the beginning of God's creation, never, ever, has he gone away from his pattern of, let's give the G version, the seed of man and, and, and the, the fertile egg or the womb of the mother. Amen? I mean, just from the beginning of all creation, he's never, it's the typical way of conception, the father's seed and the mother's fertile egg or her fertile womb, and that's how we're conceived. But Jesus is, remember, not typical, he's unique. His conception was a holy conception. The Catholic Church uses the word immaculate. The word immaculate simply means free from spot or stain. He is spotless clean, and I like that. Amen? Conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this is important because if Jesus, or if Jesus had been born of his father's seed, like Joseph, his seed, uh, then he would have been unclean, he would have been unholy. Because if you look at Luke chapter 3, before the Christmas story, it gives the lineage of, all the way back to Adam. Now, we know the story of Adam before the fall. They were all good, right? And then they sinned, and the fall of man, and, and Romans talks about this. It says, by that one man's sin, sin came into the whole world, and basically everyone is affected that comes through the father's seed. So if Joseph had been the biological father, he's a descendant of Adam, and Adam, we all die, but Jesus, his father was out of this world, <laughs> literally. Jesus had a, a mother, Mary, human, and he had a father that was holy, God, who's conceived by the Holy Spirit. And it's so important because, as we will look at later and in, into in next week, Jesus um, being spotless, being without stain, being clean, that immaculate conception, just know this, the baby in the manger didn't come to us by a typical conception. It was an immaculate, it was a miraculous uh, virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And that's important for us to know, amen? It's important for us to celebrate and to tell our kids and the next generation, hey, this Jesus is more than just a special baby. He is eternal. He's pre-existing. He don't have a beginning or an end. And he came to us by way of, of a miraculous birth, a holy, spotless conception This is why Joseph was going to put her away because, see, he knew that, you know, the way things work is conception typically happens. Uh, you know, usually in their day when they would be betrothed, it's like our engagement except it's heavier. There's like a contract that, that is made between the parents of each, the bride and the groom, and then the young lady is betrothed to the husband, and that's just as, as legally binding as marriage, but they would stay apart for about a year. And it was almost kind of like a test, and, and, and a year from then, if the woman, uh, the young lady didn't turn up pregnant, then she's been just and, and faithful, and then they would uh, go get her from the bride's house, or from her parents' house, take her home. He would consummate the marriage, and the marriage would be official. And so in this engagement time, when Joseph's engaged to be married to Mary, she turns up pregnant, and he's like, uh-oh, there's been some unfaithfulness here. And so he loved Mary, and according to Deuteronomy, um, it was pretty harsh punishment for those who had been unfaithful that way. They were to take her to the city gates and stone her to death. 
Because Joseph loved Mary, he, he didn't want to publicly disgrace her or to put her through that. It says he, he was willing to put her away quietly, just kind of behind the scenes. Let's just annul the marriage, and we'll go on our merry way. And then, aren't you glad the angel showed up? The angel showed up and said, listen, I know this doesn't make sense to you, but this is your, not, not your typical childbirth here. The child that is in Mary is conceived the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure he had a hard time wrapping his mind around it, and I'm sure we have a hard time wrapping our minds around it, but I am so grateful that we have the truth of God's word to show us just how holy and how special Jesus is. Amen? Joseph took him in his word, took Mary to be his wife, but he didn't have sexual relations with her until, key word, until. That's another thing that the Catholic Church uh, teaches the eternal virginity of Mary, and I don't believe that's true. I believe that like every marriage, when it's consummated, that would be a horrible um, punishment to put on someone. You can be betrothed, but you can't be together physically and Matthew says it right there. He did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. We know that Jesus had other brothers and sisters. Some scholars will say, well, that was from a different man and Mary. But you know what? I just want to take God's word as, as his word. We, we, we talked over the past few months on the, the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus. So I don't believe that's a, a correct teaching as well, the eternal virginity of Mary. She's like a woman, like any other woman. But the birth was non-typical. It was different than what we're used to. Are you with me so far? So his origin, his beginning, it, it didn't happen in the manger. He's everlasting, eternal. His birth is not typical. It didn't happen just to the father uh, and a mother, and their, and their oneness together is an immaculate, holy conception, born of the Holy Spirit. It makes him holy. It makes him more than a man. It leads me to my third thing I want to point out, and that's his, his nature, who he is, his nature. Just say this word with me, divine. Divine. He is divine. In other words, deity. Jesus, because his father is God and his mother is, is Mary, he's fully God, fully man. It's one of those concepts that we have a hard time wrapping our mind around, but Scripture is absolutely clear in this. And there's for centuries, first century, second century, fourth century, there's been heresies that have been raised up, and there's been councils to reject the heresy and to affirm what Orthodox Christianity believes that Jesus is fully God and fully man. His nature. John, or excuse me, verse 23, again, back to Matthew. It says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him what? Emmanuel. They had a lot of names, Jesus, mighty counselor, prince of peace. But here he says Emmanuel. Emmanuel means what? God with us. Matthew understood the divine nature of Jesus. God with us. His divine nature, fully God, fully man. John 1, as, as we read a minute ago, I'm going to go back and read some more of that. In the beginning was the Word. Or excuse me, in the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you're like, okay, Shane, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around all this stuff. It's a, it's a teaching called the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. And, if you, and I don't have time to go into it today, but I did cover that in the summer. So if you want to go to livingwater.family and just go back through the messages that have been taught, you can find that teaching there. It's called You Ask For It, or I think it says his, his, Your Questions, His Answers, and it says the Trinity. Just go back and listen to that. and explains um, this idea of one God and three persons. And so it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. He created 
everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. Verse 10, it says, He came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And in verse 14, so the word became flesh. The word became human and made his home among us. So where we call incarnation, the, the Jesus that's in the manger is not, not his beginning, but is simply the incarnation of Christ, God with us. Amen. Are you with me so far? So his pre-existence, what did he do? Um, Colossians, there's another passage that's really cool. Colossians 1, verse 15 through 17 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. This Jesus that we celebrate is a special Jesus. Amen? And if you're keeping up, it means he's, he's preexistent, he's eternal, he's supreme over all creation. He is a creator, he's the sustainer, means he holds it all together. Aren't you glad that Jesus holds it all together? He's fully God and fully man, that makes him holy, and because he's holy, he's worthy of all of our praise, our trust, and our worship. Do you know this Jesus? This Jesus is unique, he's special, and, and there's an attack, and there has been for some time, and one of my pet peeves um, is there's a the passage of Scripture in Philippians 2, 7 that is used to teach uh, a doctrine, and uh, primarily in most, most of your charismatic churches, um, and, and it's just a doctrine that Jesus gave up his divinity while he was here on the earth. And so in essence, they're making Jesus just merely a man. And the thinking is, because Jesus was just a man, gave up all of his, de his deity while he was on the earth, all the miracles that he did was because he was submissive to his Father and filled with the Holy Ghost, and so therefore we should be able to do exactly the same things. That's cool, but that's not what Philippians 2.7 says. It said, although he was God, in the very nature of God, he saw equality with, with God, not something to, to be grasped, but he gave up his divine privileges. He came from heaven, and to take on humanity was to give up the divine privileges. He didn't give up his deity because the Gospel of John, his deity is on full display. Amen? In fact, Scripture is filled with examples of the deity of Jesus. And so it's called a kenosis theology, and, it's, and it is heresy because um, it, it misrepresents who Jesus was while he's here on this earth. And something I'm very passionate about. Jesus claimed to be God. John eight fifty eight says, Before Abraham was born... I am, or I already existed. And you remember right after that, they picked up stones because they wanted to stone him for heresy because he was basically equating himself with God. Jesus claimed to be God. John 10, 30, um, after the resurrection, or excuse me, it's, it's before that, uh, it says, the Father and I are one. Jesus, again, is talking, the Father and I are one. Again, they picked up stones to stone him to death because they believed he was speaking blasphemy because he was equating himself with God. Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus was worshipped as God. 
So John 20, 28, Thomas, after the resurrection, you know, doubting Thomas, I won't believe until I see his nails in his hands and the hole in his side. And Jesus says, hey, Thomas, put your hand here. Put your hand here. Now quit disbelieving, basically. Believe. What was his response? Thomas bowed to his face. He says, my Lord and my God. He worshiped him as God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us a post-resurrection story. And the women who encountered the risen Jesus They fell at his feet, and they also worshipped him. And what's important to notice is that Jesus, knowing what the Old Testament taught about not worshipping anyone else, any other gods, he should have stopped them, but he didn't. He accepted their worship. Jesus claimed to be God. He accepted worship as God. That's That's pretty significant. He didn't stop them nor rebuke them. He accepted their worship. And as I said, ago, deity is on full display In the Gospel of John, we did a series on the miracles of Jesus and that the whole purpose of John's letter was that we would know that Jesus was so much more than a man, so much more than a good teacher, so much more than a prophet. Jesus was divine. Jesus was God in the flesh. Amen? Do you know him? Do you know this pre-existing Jesus, this eternal who has no beginning, no end, this, the one that's supreme over all, supreme. I mean, he's over everything. He's in control. Through him and for him, everything was created. And he holds it all together. Is he holding you together this morning? I sure hope so, because he, he's holding me together. Fully God, fully man. We need to know the who of the Christmas story. He's holy. He's worthy. He's worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy of your trust. Amen? He's worthy of our worship. I ask the question, I'll close with it again. Do you know this Jesus? Listen, it's not about knowing Jesus in the manger, Jesus the good teacher, Jesus the prophet. I mean, no, no, we need to know him more than just those things. We need to know him as Savior and Lord. We recognize who Jesus is. We recognize what he did. And we're simply saying, Lord, I trust you, Jesus. I I trust you. And I believe what you did. I believe that you came from heaven to earth. You died on the cross. You raised again on the third day. I believe it. And I believe you did it for me. And I'm putting my hope. I'm putting my trust. I'm putting my faith in you. That is a saving faith. And that's an important way to see Jesus. Are you following me? Do you believe in Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus? Do you know the who of Christmas? Not about him, but do you know him? The most important decision that you and I can make this side of eternity is what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? Sadly, many people will spend most of their life in church and they'll know about Jesus. They'll know the stories of Jesus. They could quote the stories about Jesus, but they don't personally know him. And Jesus said that himself. He said, in that day, many will say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So there's a difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Do you know This Jesus, the one whom we focus on at this season of the year, in this scene of the greatest story ever told, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, do you know him? I pray that you do. You know what's beautiful about it is you don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. We've done things over the years to help enable people to do that, but it's simply, it's as simple as just where you're at saying, you know what, Jesus, I believe Jesus, I trust you, and, and I, I want to just commit my life to following after you. And I believe it's important after that to tell somebody, and I believe it's important to follow through with the, you know, the, the baptism because that's kind of evidence of us saying, hey, I'm putting the ring on the finger, if you will, like a marriage. 
as me saying, I believe, I trust, and I'm following as a disciple of Christ, but it begins with a very simple step of just simply believing. Do you put your faith, do you put your trust in Jesus? Most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Amen? Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. I'll admit there's some things, Lord, that we have to just wrap our minds around. And, and, I, and I'm reminded that your word says our way, your ways are not our ways, your thoughts are not our thoughts. And there, there are things that we'll wrestle with and we'll try to wrap our minds around, come to grips with what your word says. But, Lord, we truly believe what your word says of who Jesus is. We do not believe he began, his, 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 his origins began in the, in the manger. We know that he was... In the beginning, he already existed. He's eternal. Lord, we acknowledge that he's supreme over all creation because it was all made through and for him in the first place. And we recognize that he's supreme over all that. We also recognize he's the sustainer. He holds it all together. Lord, we recognize his deity, his nature. Lord, he's worthy. You're worthy of our worship, our allegiance, our trust, our belief. Uh, Father, may we focus this Christmas season on the true reason for the season, but not just that, but the, the who of this Christmas story. Lord, our, our, our marching orders are to know you and to make you known. And, and, and Father, I don't want to misrepresent you. And so my heart and my hope is that everybody in this room today knows you personally, intimately. They know and they trust you for salvation. And if they're not... Today, I pray, would be the day your Holy Spirit bring conviction and they would just take that step of faith and trust you with the rest of their life and with eternity. Father, for those that need to get reacquainted with you, I pray that today, Lord, we would just take this story and we take these truths and apply them to our hearts and, and help it to encourage us and embolden us in our faith. Lord, as we represent you to the next generation, I pray, Father, that we would represent you well, that we would teach you well, because there's a whole other generation coming up that needs to know this Jesus, God becoming flesh, incarnation, this Christmas season. Father, we pray for those loved ones that we've prayed for for years. Lord, it's our deepest desire and heart that they would come to a saving faith, and we pray that this year, whether it's us or someone else, that you would put them in the path or in contact with the gospel, the true gospel, and that your Holy Spirit would do what he does and that you would bring them into the family. Father, for your glory, uh, we humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today. Dismissed. The heart longs for a little bit of hope. Oh, come. Oh, come, Emmanuel The child prays for peace on